You're listening to audio from Journey Bible Church. Join us every week for sermons from God's Word by subscribing to this podcast wherever you like to listen most. If you would like to connect with us, head to journeybible.org connect. Good morning, church. If you're a guest, uh, my name's Mike Bickley. I serve on staff here as uh, lead pastor, and um, I'm just really excited about our study in the book of James. Um, we're going to be, if you got the, your Bibles, turn to chapter one in James. Uh, in a minute, we're going to read some verses together, but just a, cu- a couple of quick things. James was written by the brother of Jesus um, after his journey to faith, uh, especially culminating at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he's writing to the believers that have been scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Um, And he's writing to them uh, basically about how God is at work, um, even in their hardships and their persecution. And their faith works. That when they put their faith to work, it it results in a life worth living. And so we've kind of subtitled the book, Faith at Work. And so what I want to do is I want to read uh, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And as you'll notice up on the screen, I have them. We're gonna, I'm going to ask you to stand in a second. And we're going to read it together out loud. And I want you to just follow the cadence. So it'll go something like this. We're just, I'm just practicing. Count it all joy, my brothers. And that'll be about the pace I'll do. And as I do that, I want you just to join me. So we'll read a line, short breath line, short breath. Okay, good. Everybody good with it? All right, stand please for the reading of God's word. I just love it when we participate together. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness Have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Amen. You may be seated. You know, sometimes um, we need the opposite of what we really want. And sometimes we get the opposite of what is expected. Sometimes the reverse of what we think we need is what we really need. This is a picture um, of a bike race in India. And um, the object of the bike race is not to go fast and it's not to go long. Actually, it's the opposite of every other bike race you've probably ever heard of. It's who can go the least distance in the most amount of time the slowest. And so what they're doing, as you'll notice there, is they're balanced on their bikes and they're only moving forward as much as they can to maintain their balance. And so the winner of the race is the person at the end of the race who goes the least and goes the slowest. Have you ever heard of a race like that? Not probably. And uh, what's funny is, like, if they touch the ground at any point, they're disqualified. If their bike tips over, they're disqualified. If somebody falls on them, they're disqualified. And so the whole idea is, you know, how long can you balance and creep and who can win the race? It's the opposite of what we would think for a bike race. And sometimes what we need in our walk with Jesus 
is the opposite of what we would expect. It's the opposite of what we need, the reverse of what we think is required to make us more like Jesus. So like that, bath, that bike race in India, it's the same for us here today talking about our faith. Most of us, we want a life that's easy and comfortable. We want a life that's effortless and undemanding. And yet at the same time, we want a faith that is deep and mature. We want a faith that's meaningful and fully developed. And to be honest with you, those two things don't dwell together. An easy life produces a shallow, superficial faith. And a tested life produces a deep, mature faith. If we want a faith that works, that's mature, that's deep, that's meaningful, then that faith needs to be tested. It needs to be tried. It needs to be proven. It's the opposite of probably what we want. And so in this first paragraph, as James opens up his letter, he wastes no time getting down to the nitty-gritty, harsh reality of living in a world that's broken and infested with sin. You know, I would have probably opened up with some niceties and some comforting words to people that were facing harsh affliction, but not James. James wants them from the very beginning of all that he's going to unveil to get the big picture of what God is doing in the midst of their trials and their testing. And let's just remember, the theme of this book is faith at work. And what it means is that faith is not an intellectual group of doctrines that we agree to. That is the faith in the terms of intellectual um, understanding. But faith is a verb. It's put into action. It moves from our head to our heart, to our feet, and to our hands. And it's lived out every day in the way that we think and the way that we behave. And so that's what this book is. It's a very practical book that moves us to, into the reality that our faith needs to be put to work. Because unless we put it to work, it doesn't work. And so James here wants us to understand that the kind of life we really want doesn't come with ease. It doesn't come with comfort. It comes with difficulty and testing and trials. You'll notice back just a minute ago when we read this um, that it said um, you understand that the testing of your faith. So we have these trials that we go through and he says that these trials are God's way of allowing us to be tested and that this testing is important because it's that testing that produces certain things, and we're going to talk about that. But that word test is a rare word. It's actually a metallurgical word that's used by those that would heat precious uh, uh, materials like silver and gold and heat them up to the place where they would melt. And then as they're being tested by that fire or proven, it would be shown that the gold or silver wasn't as pure as it it claimed, and the impurities would rise to the top. And what they would do is they would skim those impurities impurities off that metal to make it purer and purer. And so that's what James, he's using a term to give us a picture that while we walk through this life and we face these trials, God's testing 
is to build us up and strengthen us and make us more pure, to give us a deeper faith, a more impactful faith, a, a better, genuine, pure faith. So as we walk through this passage, I'd like to share with you four truths that you and I should embrace in the midst of our testing, in the midst of our trials. Two of these are commands. So there are two things you're actually commanded to do when you face a trial. And just a a little warning, these are not easy. As a matter of fact, if I was you and I was not mature in my faith, and I'm listening today, I might fold my arms after this first point, and I might, get, I might just say, this guy's wacko. He's crazy. As a, as a matter of fact, I, I called James uh, earlier Pastor Wacko um, it, it, for the things that he thinks that we can do in the midst of our suffering, our persecution, our afflictions, our trials, our troubles, our difficulties. So I, I just want to give you a warning. What we're going to talk about is not natural. It's supernatural. It's God's process of shaping people. So there are four truths that we should grasp and apply from this passage as we face trials and as we have our faith tested. So let, let's look at the first truth, and that is that we should choose the attitude of joy in the midst of our testing and our trials. The first choice we have to make in trials, in the harsh realities of the things that we face, is we have to select our attitude. We get to select our attitude. And he's telling us in this passage to choose the disposition of joy rather than any other disposition of anger or resentment or rebellion, you and I should choose joy. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. The word count or consider um, literally is a command in the, in the original language. So it's not optional. It's, it's something that you and I must choose to do. And what I love about this, if God commands us to choose it, he's got to give us the power to do it. And he does. He never commands us to do something we can't do. So if you're sitting there and you haven't yet believed that you can choose joy when life is really hard, I want you to know that you can. And what he's calling for is unlikely joy in trials. It's unnatural. It's the exact opposite of how we normally feel, of how we want to behave in the midst of that ter- turmoil. Most of us have got this idea that we, we're facing cancer and we've got to prance around and I'm joyful. You know, we have, this, we, we have this vision that joy is gladness, it's happiness, and it's not. The word count, literally, like you would measure something, is kind of the idea here. You look at what's going on in your life, and you stand back, and you pause, and you give regard to it. You measure it. And and the way that you look at it allows you to choose joy because God is doing something bigger than the trouble that you are facing. You don't need to get flipped out and worked up. You can choose joy. You can pause and reflect 
and consider what God is doing. And so the choice of joy is an attitude we get to do, to live out. It's an inner attitude. So I just want to make it very clear. James is not saying put on a fake smile and fake joyful emotions when you're being hammered by hurtful things. He's not saying you have to enjoy your trials. He's not saying you have to exult and give praise for a long-desired career crashing down. You know, you and I do not have to revel in the fact that a child gets leukemia or a marriage is broken up. James is not saying we take joy in the event. He's saying we choose joy as an inner attitude toward the testing of our faith. That we don't have to have stoic resignation and a forced smile. We can make a deliberate and careful decision to let God bring supernatural inner joy to our soul. We don't have to choose agony. We don't have to choose resignation. We don't have to choose bitterness. We don't have to choose resentment. We don't have to choose revolt. God wants for us to choose joy. And I want to remind you that from my perspective in my study of Scripture, joy is not happiness. Happiness is circumstantial when everything lines up and goes well and is good. Joy is an inward reality. It's actually a fruit of the Spirit. It's a byproduct of trusting in God. As as best I can tell, I would define joy as a radiant assurance that God is in control and can be trusted. Joy is a radiant expectation that God is acting and God will act, that God is in control and will stay in control, that God when all is said and done, we'll finish his purposes and carry out his plans. Joy is that in the midst of the chaos, when everything's unraveling, you can know with confident, radiant assurance that God is there, God is at work, God is in control, and he will accomplish what he wants accomplished. Now, if... I would assume most of you are out there and some of you are still not with me. You're like, you're like, Mike, how do I get there? Like, isn't joy an emotion? Well, there is the expression of an emotion of the radiance of joy, but joy is a chosen attitude. So it, it's something that you can actually work with God to bring about. So I just want to give you three things that you can do in a trial when you don't feel joyful. Three things that can help you choose joy. Here they are. Number one, pray. Stop and ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, empower you, and enlighten you. Ask him to direct you and guide you. Let him know how you're feeling. Let him know what this feels like to you. But ask him that you, to take control and tell him that you surrender to his better wishes for you in this trial than your normal human emotional reactions. And then second, I had a friend talk to me about this in kind of a different way. He, he says he plays this game. Hey, what's right about this? Just totaled your car. What's right about this? Well, I'm still walking. I have insurance. I got to talk to the claims adjuster about my faith in Christ. 
You start listing out all the things. You know, I don't know about you, but almost in any circumstance in my life that I've, I've ever done this, actually every circumstance that I've done something like this, I have found God doing things that I didn't take stock of the fact that he was doing them. So I count it joy. And then third, pray. Take that list of things that's right and go, God, I want to thank you that you're at work in this situation. I thank you for this. I thank you for this. I thank you for that. I praise you that you're in control. And I trust you. And I choose to walk with you rather than to try to get out from under this trial. And so I just, I just want to encourage you. It's not natural to, to have joy. It's, it's a, it is a spiritual exercise. We might even call it a spiritual discipline in a trial to choose joy. But it is possible. And it's possible to experience joy. Even in sorrow or sadness, to have a radiant assurance deep in your heart that God's plan is being worked out, that God is good. Even in this broken world, even in this chaos and chaotic mess of this earth. So first, you and I choose the attitude of joy. And then second, we must expect our lives to be lived on the terrain of trials. You know, one of the things that I think many people have thought is, oh, so if I give my life to Jesus, everything goes good? No, if you give your life to Jesus, he walks with you through everything that's good and hard and evil and bad in this world. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I love that word meet. It's kind of like, hey, let me introduce you to one of your friends along your journey of life. It's Mr. Trial. It's Mr. Difficulty. It's Mr. Burden. It's Mr. Brokenness. It's Mr. Harshness, Mr. Persecution, Mr. Cancer. Count it all joy, my brothers, my sisters, when you are greeted by trials of various kinds. Just so we know, a trial is an external affliction that comes into our lives that creates difficulty or suffering. It causes problems, hardship, trouble. It brings pain, misery. And notice he says that these trials are going to be of various kinds. If you're a financial planner, you might say, you know, God is going to give you a diversified portfolio of trials. If you're a painter, you would say that your life is going to be painted with many colors. Actually, that's exactly what various kinds means originally in the language. It means many colored, stressing the variety and diversity of the trials, that they come in all kinds, in stripes and sizes. They're unexpected. They're unavoidable. They're undetermined. It could be that you're persecuted at work because you're a believer in Christ. It could be that you're experiencing suspension because you stood up for your faith in school. A trial can be an unannounced calamity, a deadly illness, a reoccurring cancer, the loss of a job, a rebellious teenager, an unloving parent, 
parent. It could be the loneliness of an empty house or the suicide of a classmate or the death of your closest friend. These and a host of other things, if we made a list in this room, it would be really long, are the things that God uses in our lives to refine and strengthen and shape us as his followers. There was a middle-aged woman whose life had been touched by tragedy twice. First, the death of one of her children, and then second, unexpectedly and early, the death of her husband. After that funeral, she and a close friend were meeting to encourage and strengthen one another's faith. And her friend said this, you know, sorrow has a way of coloring our lives. There was a long pause, and the woman whose life was being tested said yes. But we get to choose its colors. We get to choose its colors. You know, when we have trials, I, I just, two things practically. One, if you're sitting here and you're young and, and you're like, okay, maybe in the future, buckle up. <laughs> you don't know when they're coming. You don't know how they're coming. You don't know whether they start small or they start big, but you will know. You will meet trials of various kinds. Be prepared. Make that assumption. In the times when you're not being tried is a great time to deepen your faith. Second, choose. Pick the colors that you paint the story of your trial with. Be careful. Choose joy. Don't just see the outward manifestation of evil breaking into your life. See the glorious manifestation of a sovereign God using evil to bring about his good in your life and in you. Now, that doesn't mean the trial is good. It just means that God, as it says in Romans 8, can take everything that's happening and weave it together for the good of the believer. So we choose the attitude of joy. We accept the terrain of trials. And then third, we choose the result to be endurance. Now again, the, the last one uh, uh, that talked uh, about um, the various kinds was just a statement that that's what's going to happen. You just have to accept it because it's going to happen. Now we get to choose the result. You, you didn't realize this. You get to choose the outcome the result of what is happening in your trial. You get to play a part. You're not a passive standing by type of person as something happens in your life that isn't good, that's hard. You're not being tested, it says, in any way or tempted in any way that God hasn't already filtered it so that you, he knows, can come out of this I, I, I want to say this because the commercials say I can't. Like a rock star. You guys know the commercials I'm talking about? You know, and, and, and so God, you're not passively indifferent watching something unfold. You're in the middle of the story of God working itself out in this world and in your life. And you get to choose the result. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It produces steadfastness. 
It produces a sturdier you, a deeper you, a stronger you. It produces staying power, heroic endurance. It produces in you the ability to bear up under a heavy load. Do you guys remember weightlifting? They do the, the clean and jerk. Do you guys know? Do you remember that? Weightlifting. So there's a bar, and it's got like 10 plates on each side. It weighs like 9,000 pounds. And this guy that can barely walk comes up to it, you know? Have you, have you guys watched? And then they bend down. They go, and they get like that. I can't get down because their butt's almost touching the ground, right? So the Greek word for steadfastness here is a word called hupomone. And what it means is to bear up under a weight. And this is a perfect example of it. It's like there's the weight. Hoopo. <laughs> right? I've lifted the weight, right? I'm now under the weight, kind of. And have you noticed how those guys are always shaking? You know, and then they go, Money! And they lift it way up, right? And, they, and, and they're under it, and they've got to hold it, right? Or they're disqualified, right? That's the picture. You know what happens in almost every one of those weightlifting contests is they're trying something they've never tried before. They're going just a little bit more than they've ever done. They're wondering, can I bear up under it? And the reality is, yes, they can. And so can you. God will never put a load he asks you to lift that with his power you can't lift. Otherwise, he would be setting you up for failure. Now, we don't always choose to endure. We don't let steadfastness have its full effect. See, you get to choose that. You get to choose when God is putting you under the load of a trial how you're going to handle it. Will you choose joy? Will you accept it as coming from his hand? Will you let the endurance, the steadfastness, the ability to bear up under something be produced in your life? By the way, this is a command. Let steadfastness have its full effect. Don't, the way we would say it in, the, in, the, in an active way would be don't short circuit what God is doing. Don't try to get out from under the trial. Don't run from the conflict. Don't flee from the responsibility. Don't hide from the problem. Don't medicate and escape from reality. But let God strengthen you. Let God purify you from the trial as you bear up under it. So what are the trials in your life right now that God has allowed? Are you seeking to run from your burdens rather than to bear up under them? Are you trying to flee the problem relationships? Or are you trusting God to mold you through them? Are you wanting the easy way out? Or do you want God to make you strong in faith? Do you want out from under the pain? Or do you want the strength of character? that comes with endurance. Practically, accept that God is using something in your life, even something hard, even something hurtful, even something someone intended for evil. Accept that and then don't flee. 
and I don't mean stay in, in under someone's abusive mentality. I'm saying don't run away and hide from the problem in the sense of forgetting it and never dealing with it and never struggling with it and never doing what is right in the midst of it. Don't short-circuit God's work and pray. Pray for strength. Pray for wisdom. Trust God actively by praying regularly. See, the attitude of a tested faith is joy. The terrain of a tested faith is trials. And the result is endurance. That leads us to the fourth thing. The final culmination of what God wants when you and I go through a trial is that you and I would be more like Christ. That we would come out reflecting the image of his son in our daily lifestyle. You know, when you and I make the choice to endure and bear up under the trial, when we let God have his way through the trial, the result is that we are perfected and completed. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Perfect means that when, when you are examined, you're at the highest standard and and complete means fully developed or blameless. And so the picture is of someone who's lacking in nothing, in everything, they're becoming more and more like Christ, more pure, more blameless, more full of integrity. Remember I said that this was a metallurgical term that is used for the testing that you and I have where the gold is heated up by fire to where it melts and the impurities can be skimmed off. Do you know how the metallurgist knows when the gold is pure? It's pure when he looks into it and he sees his reflection perfectly in the molten metal. And there's nothing in between him and his reflection. You see, that's what God is doing in our lives by allowing these trials to skim off the impurities and the sinfulness and the defense mechanisms and the ways that we would in, the, in our flesh handle the troubles of this world. And he's making us more like Jesus who prayed for his enemies and those who scourged him and hated him and spit on him and mocked him. More like Jesus who loved unconditionally and poured out grace on all those who didn't deserve it, even mercy. You know, the reality is that for your faith to work, it must be forged in the fires of affliction. I said at the beginning, sometimes God calls us to not what we expect or what we desire but to what is best for us. You know, in South Africa, apartheid brought many ruthless atrocities against black South Africans. And in one of the trials that was being done, one of the women who experienced many of these atrocities had to listen to the white police officers acknowledge what they had done and the sins and crimes they had perpetrated in the name of apartheid. An officer, Van Broek, acknowledged... Um, 
in this trial in front of this woman that he had killed her son. He had shot the 18-year-old at point-blank range and then burned his body to do away with the evidence. And then he confessed that eight years later he seized her husband and bound him and put him on a wood pile. But even in a greater atrocity, he went and captured her and brought her to watch as he burned her husband. The last words from her husband's mouth were, forgive them. As Officer Van Broek stood awaiting the judgment for his confessions, South Africa South Africa's Truth and Reconciliation Commission asked this woman what she wanted. And she said, I want three things. I want Mr. Van Broek to take me to the place where they burned my husband's body so that I can gather up the dust and give him a decent burial. Second, Mr. Van Broek took all of my family from me and I still have a lot of love to give. Twice a month, I would like for him to come to the ghetto, to my home, to spend a day with me so I can be a mother to him. And third, I would like Mr. Van Broek to know that he's forgiven by God and that I forgive him too. And I would like someone to walk me across the room to where he is seated so I can embrace him and he can know that my forgiveness is real. As the elderly woman was being led across the courtroom, Officer Van Broek fainted. Someone began singing Amazing Grace. And eventually, everyone joined in. Faith of that magnitude is forged by surrendering to God in the trials of this world. This woman chose forgiveness, not hate. She chose love, not vengeance. She chose God's way rather than the world's way. And at the trial, she reflected the thoughts, the heart attitude, and the actions of her Savior, Jesus Christ. When people were looking at her, they were seeing the reflection of Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you can do in us what we cannot do. If we relinquish control of our lives to you, if we surrender to your purposes... As much as we don't understand them, if we just walk with you in faith, God, we know that you can do things that we could never do in our own power and by our own strength. God, we know that you are at work even in the things we're facing right now that are hard and difficult and actually seem to be evil. We know that you can do something in us that's never been done before, that you can ground our faith stronger than it's ever been, that you can forge in us a heart that's more tender than it's ever been, more humble, more surrendered. So we ask that as each of us sits here and we examine the trials we're walking through, that you would do that in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This podcast was produced by Journey Bible Church in Olathe, Kansas. If you're interested in learning more about our church, visit journeybible.org. Thanks for listening.